It is called the greatest rescue mission of World War II. The greatest rescue mission of World War II. Now, World War II went from 1941 to 1945, at least the American involvement did. And to think about the greatest rescue mission of all the the missions that took place, this was considered the greatest one. And it was called Operation Halyard. Late in the war, American fighter pilots uh, were trying to cripple the oil supplies of the Nazis. And they would fly missions over uh, Europe. And as they were approaching Yugoslavia, uh, anti-aircraft fire would would go off, and and a lot of times the men flying the planes would have to bail out and parachute down to a certain depth. They were parachuting down into Yugoslavia, which was occupied at the time, and certain death followed until they hit the ground. And it turns out that certain rescue operations were already in place. There was a whole system, a whole network designed to protect and rescue these men. The Serbian freedom fighters in Yugoslavia saved over 500 men. They would jump out of their planes, they would, they would bail out of their planes, they would land, and these peasant freedom fighters would feed them and take care of them, take care of any wounds, and then they would lead them to safety. It was a, a, a many, many mile journey. But the only ones who knew the way were the Serbs. And so the Serbians led the Americans out of Yugoslavia and into safety. The important thing to know, though, on this journey of safety and this journey of rescue, the, the American soldiers had to follow, they had to walk, they had to go on this journey. It wasn't good enough just for the Serbians to know the way. The Americans had a responsibility, and that was to follow. Today we're talking about our journey of faith. Everybody, I believe, is on a journey. Everyone is on a journey of faith, even if you believe in nothing, even if you don't have any faith at all in anything. I believe it takes great faith to not believe. That is your journey. Even if you do not believe, that is your journey. That is your journey of faith. If you have deep faith in Jesus Christ, that is your journey of faith. I believe that everybody, every single one of you, from you to you to all y'all up there, yeah, you too, um, we're we're all on a journey of faith. Where is your journey taking you? Where are you headed? Where are you going? How are you going to get there? The journey of faith that we are on is so very, very important. We are all moving forward. We are moving from somewhere to something. We're going somewhere. Where are you headed in your journey of faith? We're starting a new sermon series this morning on the book of Colossians called Living in the Name of Jesus. And it comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. That is the main kind of the theme verse for the book. And that says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's why it's called living in the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about real practical stuff and what it means to live out our faith as we journey along on our journey of faith through life. 
What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live in Jesus' name? What does it mean to be a sold-out, dedicated, committed follower of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to talk about. So where are you going on your journey of faith? Where are you headed? What plans does God have for you? How are you going to get there? How do you live? That's what we're talking about today. Now this morning is all about living a life worthy of the Lord. Living a life worthy of the Lord. That sounds like a pretty steep call. That sounds like a pretty intense kind of life to live. It's not just same old, same old, humdrum, whatever kind of life. And I think a lot of people live that kind of life. They live a whatever kind of existence. The same old, same old, oh, no big deal. Life, you know, stinks. You know, just putting up with life until I die and then we'll see what happens. I don't think that that's a good way to live just because it, it seems very, very aimless and very, very purposeless. And, you know, do you, I, the question I have is, do you have a purpose to your life? Are you living for something? Are you living for someone? Even if it's just yourself, are you living for someone? Or are you walking around aimlessly without purpose? Just making it one day to the next. And I think it's real easy to do that. I think it's real easy to, to wake up one day and just say, if I can just get to bed tonight. We've all had those days, we've all had those moments, those times in lives where we just wake up and go, if I can just get through this day, if I can just get to sleep tonight, I'll be okay. I think there's more to life than that. And I think that God calls us to live a life worthy of the Lord, and that's what we're talking about today. So I want you to grab a Bible. I got mine. You got yours. If you, can't, if you do not have one, you, we can, you can locate one, I'm sure. They're in the pews there with you. So grab a Bible. Uh, if you have one on your phone, there's a really good one, by the way, if you have a smartphone called you, a smartphone. What, did I say smartphone? Smartphone. If you have a smartphone like I have, this is my Motorola Android, my Droid phone, and uh, I have a, a, a Bible on here called Version, and it's available for free uh, on uh, the uh, Android operating system, and I believe it's also on the iPhone. And it is on the iPhone, and I uh, highly recommend it. They have Bible reading plans. You can read through the Bible in a year if you want to. You can sign up for that, or you can just use the Bible. And uh, there I am, Colossians chapter 1. In the NIV, Paul, okay, we're going to read that in just a second. But just, just a little, you know, little plug for you version. Uh, highly recommend it if you've got a smartphone. Carry the Bible with you at all times. And never be caught unaware. You never know when someone may walk up to you and say, Hey, you got a Bible on you? i got a question about that. Stranger things have happened. I can't think of any right now, but it could happen. So anyway, turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start in Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14, as we kick off this sermon series of living in the name of Jesus. A little bit of background info about the book of Colossians. Colossae was a major city uh, in what is now Turkey, okay, in the land which is now known as Turkey. Oh, that image really didn't turn out as nice as I wanted it to. But uh, right there, right smack dab in the middle of that map, it says, trust me on this, it says Colossae. And uh, it was on a major trade route. It was a huge city. It was a major trade city for many, many years, hundreds of years before Paul wrote the letter to the, to the church there at Colossae. It was a major important city. And uh, it was, like I said, it was located on, on the most important east-west trade route. 
So you had this letter. Uh, by the time this letter was written from Paul to the church at Colossae, the city had kind of lost its importance. There were uh, two other cities close by, Heropolis and Laodicea, uh, that were much more uh, prestigious by the time this letter was written. The letter was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, and, along with his young scribe, Timothy. And Timothy was a young preacher uh, that Paul was training and mentoring. Uh, Timothy was Paul's protege. So you have Paul and Timothy writing this letter to the church at Colossae in about 60 AD. So about maybe 25, 30 years after Jesus had died, uh, Paul was under house arrest in Rome for being a Christian. He had appealed all the way to Rome. He had incited riots along the way, and, and he was now under house arrest in Rome when he wrote this letter as well as several others. So here he is writing the letter to the church at Colossae. Uh, the church was founded by a man named Epaphras or Epaphroditus, and we'll hear about him as we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 as we begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And stop right there for just a minute. One of the most important things to know about the book of Colossae, this letter that Paul wrote to them, was that he was writing it to combat some heretical teachings. Uh, in the second century, a, a huge controversy arose in the church. Okay, about 100, 150 years after Jesus had died and was resurrected and, and went into heaven, um, long after Paul had died, long after the apostles had died, there was a, a, a heresy, a heretical teaching called Gnosticism that came up in the church. And what it claimed was that there was a secret knowledge that only a few had about Jesus. And only a few could be saved. And unless you had this secret knowledge, you couldn't be saved. So that's one of the themes of the book of, of Colossians, is that... He is combating a heretical teaching that had just started about this secret knowledge. And so words like knowledge and wisdom and understanding are going to be very important in the book of Colossians. We're going to talk a lot about knowing Jesus and, and knowing a lot about our faith and knowing Christ. The book of Colossians, I want to say Colossians, the letter to Colossae, the, the book of Colossians, has a lot to do about knowing our faith. And being committed to Christ. It is a heavily Christological book, which is a, a big word to say that the book is about Jesus. So that's what we're really going to kind of talk about over the next several weeks uh, as we talk about these heretical teachings that Paul was writing to combat. In verse 5, there's the, the, virtue, the trinity of virtues of Christianity. We see faith, hope, and love right there that uh, faith and love sprang from the hope that they had. And the hope that they had came from Jesus Christ. That just as Jesus died uh, when we are baptized, we die with him. Uh, just as Jesus was raised when we come up out of the waters of baptism, we are raised 
uh, with him and raised to new life, just as Christ was resurrected from the dead, we also have the hope that one day we will be resurrected from the dead, that no matter, uh, as it says in John chapter uh, 11, that no matter what happens, that because we believe in Jesus Christ, uh, that uh, he who uh, lives and believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. We will live again. And we will live forever with Christ because of God's grace. Applied to our faith in Jesus at the moment of baptism, we are given the opportunity. We are given the promise, the guarantee of eternal life. All right, so let's move on. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There we go. And we pray this in order that you may, this is the theme of today's sermon, you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you have an outline, you have a, uh, an outline in your bulletin, page three of your bulletin, turn to the handy dandy outline and we're going to fill in some blanks. Locate a pen or a pencil if you have one. If not, there's one in the pew in front of you. Hopefully it's sharp. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot about wisdom and understanding, and we're going to talk about knowledge And as we address, uh, especially in chapter 2, as we address the heretical teachings that, that Paul addressed. I, I want to read a verse to you from Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Get it here. This is very important when it comes to living a life worthy of the Lord. Matthew ten thirty eight says, Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What does it mean to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to, to live a life that pleases him? Could you imagine? When you hear the words pleasing God, what comes to mind? Your behavior? Does your, does your behavior please God? You think, no, I know me too well. We may think that we disappoint God a lot. How many of you ever felt like you've disappointed God? How many of you ever felt like you've let God down? That's a tough one, ain't it? I hate to disappoint people, but John, you're so good at it. I can't stand to disappoint people. That's the worst thing you could ever say to me. Well, the worst thing you could ever say to me is that the Bears beat the Packers last week, which they didn't. Sorry, sorry. I just jinxed them. They're going to lose today. Um, The worst thing you could ever say is I'm so disappointed because that hits me right here. And I walk around with a lot of guilt and disappointment, feeling like I've disappointed God all the time, that I'm walking around and and God's just looking down going, oh, 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 oh. There's a verse uh, in, in the Old Testament um, in, in Genesis where God says that he was sorry that he made man, and I kind of feel like that's how God feels about me sometimes. But you know what? That's not true. That's not true. While I, let, while I feel like I let God down, and while I do sin and I, and I do rebel and I do turn away from him and, and, I, and I don't fully repent like I should, I believe that the, the love of God... 
and um, his his intense burning love for me while he wants me to do better and he gives me his Holy Spirit to change me and make me do better, that I, 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 there is no disappointment. That he, he looks at us as his precious children. I have dreams for my son. Does he frustrate me? Does he do the wrong things? Oh yeah, he's getting good at that. But disappointment? Maybe that's coming, I don't know. I'm, I'm still young at this, I'm still new at this. But I, I don't think God looks at us and says, I'm so disappointed and, 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 and I just wish I'd never made you. I, I, I don't think so. I, I just, I don't believe that that's true. That God loves us so much and he loves you so much and he loves me so much that he says, I'm going to try, I'm, I'm, not I'm going to try, I'm going to do something about your situation and your circumstance and your condition and your sin and I'm going to forgive it and I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to transform your life and together, and together, we're going to make you into a new creation. I believe that we are called to be sold out and devoted and committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about, this living a life worthy of the Lord. Jesus said, as it says there in Matthew 10:38, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We are called to a spiritual kind of daily sacrifice, a daily self-sacrifice, a daily taking up of our cross, a daily commitment to wake up every day and say, I am going to live for Jesus Christ today. I ain't going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about next week. I'm not going to worry about a year from now. Today I am going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be sold out and committed to him today. No matter what comes along, my faith will not waver but I will live for Christ today to daily take up my cross. I will not live for myself. I will live for Jesus today. We are called to die to ourselves every single day. That is the commitment. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was committed to the cross. The Bible says that he turned his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen there. He knew that he was going to go. He knew that he was going to suffer. He knew that he was going to die. And he knew he was going to be resurrected. But he knew that he would have to suffer first. And he was committed to the cross because when they put nails in your hands and in your feet, that is commitment. There is no coming down from there. There is no, I've changed my mind. When he was sentenced to die... They were going through with it. He was going through with it. He was committed to the cross 100%. And the question that I have for us today is, are we committed to Christ 100%? Are we committed to Jesus all the way? Enough so that we will take up our cross on a daily basis and die to ourselves each day. That is what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes. There are four ways that we... Uh, Live a life worthy of the Lord. There are four ways that Paul says that we please him. The first is bearing fruit in every good work. Shan and I went to Florida in 2003. We drove from Minnesota all the way to Florida. Let me tell you what. It's a lot of time in the car with someone. 
especially someone who just had a pulmonary embolism and had to stop once an hour for 10 minutes. You know how many miles it is from Minnesota to Florida? That's a long way. It's about a 24-hour trip. Add another two, three hours onto that. It was fun. No, seriously, we had a good time. It was, it was a lot of fun. We didn't have a little guy then, and um, uh, I praise God for that because we would have been stopping two times every hour. It would have taken us four days to get there. But anyway, we had a really good time. And there's something that I, I realized, there's something that I learned about trees in Florida, in southern Florida, that we don't learn about trees here. And you can smell them there. You can smell the trees. We would drive, we drove by uh, orchards, uh, not orchards, that's where apples grow. We drove by orange groves. And when we were driving down the street, it's like, what's that smell? This is the middle of January. What's that smell? It smells like oranges down here. What a wonderful state. It smells like oranges all the time. But I knew that we were driving by orange trees. Why? Because oranges grew on them. Jesus said that you will know a tree by its fruit. I knew that those were orange trees by what? The fruit. It smelled like oranges. Jesus says that you will know a tree by its fruit. A tree is recognized by its fruit. So what is the purpose in serving God? How do we please God? It is by bearing fruit in our lives. To bear fruit in every good work. Why do we do the things that we do for God? How many, I mean, have you ever thought about it? Why, why do we do good deeds for God? Uh, for example, serving in the children's ministry. Maybe teaching on Thursday nights at KFC or teaching... Uh, um, kids worship or serving in cherubs or serving in the nursery. Why do, we do the, why do you do that? Is it to try and get brownie points with God? That's selfish. Oh God, look at me. I am suffering for you with these fourth through sixth graders. No, I, no, that's selfish. But perhaps, maybe there's a better reason to suffer with fourth through sixth graders. And that is that you can plant a seed. That you can take the gospel, the word of God, and plant it in a little child's heart. And that little child will grow up and love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, I think about the the Sunday school teachers who had to suffer with me at the First Christian Church of Crown Point. And I wonder what they think now. Perhaps the suffering was worth it. As I get up every Sunday and I get to present the gospel each week. I get to tell people about Jesus. Little did they know, sitting in a classroom at the First Christian Church in Crown Point, that one of the young men, that, the young boys that they were planting that gospel in to my heart, the fruit that that would bear, not just in my life, but in the lives of, of others. You can do that. When we serve God, when we do good works, when we do good deeds for Jesus, It's not to get a brownie point. It's not to get a star in our chart in heaven, but it's to spread the gospel. It is to touch someone's life in a very special way, and God can use that, plant a seed in their life, and they will grow to love Jesus. That's what it's all about. That is bearing fruit in every good work, to help people realize that God loves them so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what it's all about, helping people on their journey of faith. That's what I tell folks when they come to me and say, hey, i got a question or something. Hey, that's what I'm here for. I want to help everybody in their journey of faith. My personal mission statement. I have a personal mission statement. Help, help 
geeky is that? But I have a personal mission statement. That is to help everyone within my sphere of influence grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is my personal mission in life, to help everyone within my sphere of influence grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts here at Jerusalem to help myself grow, to grow as a, a Christian, to help my family grow as Christians, to introduce my son to Jesus as he gets older, to help those that I work with, to help those that I serve here at the church, to help those that I live next door to, to help everyone that I can possibly have an influence on grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. What is your mission? Why are you doing the things that you do? What is your purpose in life? Why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? Are you bearing fruit in every good work? It's the first thing we do to please God. Second thing we do is we grow in the knowledge of God. What is your plan? What is your plan to grow in your faith this year? What is your plan to grow in the knowledge of God this year? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan? A balcony. You got a plan? What is your plan to grow in God? I talked about version. I talked about downloading the Bible onto your phone. That is a great way to grow in the knowledge of God. God has revealed himself in two ways. He has revealed himself through his word. He has revealed himself through his son. A great way to get to grow in the, God, in the knowledge of God is through reading your Bible. It's the first, the first of the year, right? Everyone's all excited. How many of you started reading your Bibles this year? How many of you said, all right, I'm going to read my Bible every day? Wow, what a bunch of heathens. Come on, folks. How many of you have more than one Bible in your house? How many of them are sitting on a shelf somewhere? How many of you could locate more than one Bible in your house? There's the question. Yeah, very good, yeah. We cannot check our faith at the door. We cannot say on Sunday morning, okay, you know, like a coat. You came in this morning, you hung your coat up. When you leave, you're going to pick up that coat. And sometimes what we do, instead of, you know, we'll, we'll exchange coat for faith. I, I'm leaving, I'm going to hang up my faith, go out into the world, I'll come back, I'll hang up my coat and put my faith back on for Sunday morning. Can't be that way. We have to be 100% sold out committed to the cause of Christ. And part of that is growing in the knowledge of God. Learning from Him. Learning about Him. Reading our Bibles. Folks, it, getting involved in a Bible study. Tomorrow night, 6.30, come to the church and get involved in a Bible study. You've, we've got to do it. If we're going to grow, there's, there's no other way to grow in, God, in the knowledge of God. Well, I can look at the nature. Yeah, nature will reveal a little bit about God, but it, will not, it is not God's primary form of communication to us. God wrote you a book. He wrote you a love letter. It's called the Bible. Pick it up and read it. It's so very important. If you want to know about God, read his word. You want to know about God's son? There's four books all about him. Start with the book of John. Not kidding. You want to get started reading your Bible? Start reading the book of John. Read a chapter a day. Take it less than a month. Then read the book of Acts. It's the history of God's people. It's the history of the church. It's a great way to know, learn how God moves through his Holy Spirit and how God moves through his people. So read the book of John, less than a month. Read the book of Acts, less than a month. Now you're into March. You want to hear it. You want to go intense? You want to go hardcore? Read five psalms a day. There's 150 of them. Take it 30 days. In a month, you read through the whole book of psalms. Woohoo! Ah, feel good about yourself, right? Then start at Genesis and start reading about the history of how God created the heavens and the earth and started calling out a people for himself. Go back to the New Testament. Read some letters from Paul. Read the book of Ephesians. I got an idea. Read the book of Colossians, the one we're going to study for the next 13 weeks. Hey, that's a great idea. 
I could read the book of Colossians. I might read ahead and actually know what Sean's going to talk about on Sunday morning so I know when to skip. That sounds too hard. I don't feel like being lectured about that today. Read your Bibles. That's all I'm saying. You want to grow in the knowledge of God? Read your Bible. Third, to be, uh, we are being strengthened to have great endurance and patience. Through the Holy Spirit, we are given patience and endurance. I will never run a marathon. I shouldn't say never, but I can tell you this. I will never run a marathon. I am not a runner. I don't even like to run to the store, let alone running a marathon. I admire those who do. Or super marathons. You know how long a super marathon is? 150 miles. There is something in someone's brain that says, I think I can do that. There is something in my brain that says, ain't no way you're doing that. I admire those who run marathons, but I admire those who finish marathons. I don't care if it takes you five hours. That's dedication. That is commitment. That is putting one foot in front of the other for 26.2 miles. That is commitment. We are called to endure. We are called to be faithful till the end, to run the race. Run, run, run. The Christian life is compared to a race. Paul compares it to a race, and we are called to run this race. What good is running a race if you don't finish? There's, hey, I almost ran a marathon. Good for you. I did too. I, went to the, I, I walked to the, to the end of the block. I started just because I didn't go 26 miles. You didn't either. Running a race is no good unless you finish. We are called to run with great endurance and patience to the very end of the race. The struggles of life will attempt to get us to quit. Do not quit. Do not give up. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. It is not worth it. Run the race to the end. Persevere and endure. Finally, we give thanks to the Father. I think that there's a very important aspect of giving thanks, and that is not complaining. I think complaining indicates a lack of gratitude whether you complain about your spouse which none of you do right me neither um complaining about your spouse complaining about your job anybody ever complain about their job um complaining about your car complaining about your house complaining about anything i think it indicates a lack of gratitude to say I'm not, sad. I, I'm not content. I don't like what I have. What you're saying is, I don't like what God gave me. If every good and perfect gift is from God above, as the book of James says, if every good and perfect gift comes from above, if every good and perfect gift in our life comes from God, and then we complain about it, what are we saying? God, I'm not happy with what you gave me. I'm, I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I'm not happy. I'm going to complain about it. And complain we do. Over and over and over again. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul wrote, Do everything without complaining. Do everything without complaining. That's hard, is it not? To do everything without complaining? But that's what we're called to do. To give thanks to the Father in everything. To give thanks. And to be thankful and grateful people. To be content, as it says in Philippians 4.13, Paul wrote, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That 
Bible verse there that we memorize, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's not about winning races. It's not about beating an opponent in a boxing match. It's not about winning a football game. That verse is about being content. That is saying that no matter what, I will be content with what I have. I will be content with what God gave me. I will not complain. We have to, excuse me, we have to be thankful and grateful people. For God is good and all the time. In 1993, 300,000 people, members of the American Heart Association, doctors, nurses, researchers, all got together in Atlanta, Georgia. And they talked for days about the benefits of living a healthy lifestyle and eating healthy food. As the sessions broke out, a lot of these doctors and nurses and researchers would go to the fast food restaurants and eat greasy, fat-filled, disgusting food. One of the doctors was asked about this and said, don't you feel kind of like a hypocrite, you know, you know, talking about the importance of eating a healthy food and then going and eating this garbage? He said, well, not really. I just take my name tag off. We all wear spiritual name tags. Are you wearing yours? What does it say about you? Here's a quote that was on uh, the door of a friend of mine at Lincoln Christian College. It says, you wear the name of Christ. Change your character or change your name. You wear the name of Christ. Change your character or change your name. What does your name tag say about you? Your spiritual name tag. Are you a committed, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ who is living a life that is worthy of the calling you have received? Are you living a life that is worthy of the gospel? Are you living a life that is worthy of Jesus? That is the question. What's your name tag say? Heavenly Father, I pray that this week you would help us, oh God, help us to live a life worthy of your son. That we would be sold out, dedicated and committed to him. That we would give him our lives 100% each day. That in the things that we say and the things that we think and the things that we do, that we would please you, God. It's a tall order. In our minds, it seems so very hard and so difficult. But through your Holy Spirit, through your strength, through your power, through your might, we can. May we not give up. May we endure to the end. And may we be thankful. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.